Welcome to MACMA's Audience Architect, where we are crafting the future of audience engagement. Our mission, to dive into the intricacies of the ever-evolving media and publishing landscape through the sharp lens of audience and marketing professionals. Each episode will unravel the meaning and perspective on trends that are shaping the industry. A quick follow-up to our first two episodes on the impact of AI on media and publishing. I don't know if you all saw it, but this past Monday, which is August 7th, ChatGPT, the company that um, owns it, OpenAI, quietly released a web crawler to scrape sites for data to improve its future models. You all have a decision out there. You can block them. They even gave some information that by using the robots.txt file on your website, you can do that. Um, and this came on the heels of data released by Similar Web last week that the number of monthly visits to ChatGPT for the first time had dropped in July, dropped by 9.6%. So there's your update there. Audience Architect is a content service of MACMA, the Media Audience and Content Marketers Association. Supercharge your career with MACMA's paid membership. Connect with industry experts, thought leaders, and like-minded professionals. Expand your knowledge and stay ahead with networking events, webinars, and conferences. Join MACMA today for unparalleled value and professional growth. Check us out at www.the-mcma.org. In this episode of Audience Architect, which will be episode tres, number three, The Future of Analytics Takes Center Stage. I'm your host, Bill Levine, and today we venture into the digital labyrinth of data-driven decision-making. We stand at the dawn of a new era as the torch is passed from Universal Analytics to Google Analytics 4, better known as GA4. But what does this transition mean for publishers and you, the strategists, the audience, marketers, the business developers? Why is this not just another update, but a tectonic shift in the very architecture of online insights? For those who've shaped their digital understanding with universal analytics, the leap to GA4 may seem daunting. Prime example is me. I've been in deep GA therapy since the July 4th date was coming, the July 1st date was coming. Um, but as any seasoned audience architect knows, every change in blueprint offers both challenges and new horizons to explore. From the high-level sea changes, understanding the broader strokes of this product's evolution to the nitty-gritty tactics where we delve deep into the opportunities, limitations, and features that can propel your business forward, we've got you covered. So, fasten your seatbelts, data enthusiasts, as we demystify, decode, and design the roadmap to mastering GA4. Let's architect the future. Ladies and gentlemen, in the realm of analytics, there are those who understand numbers, and then there are those who can make numbers tell a story. Our guest today belongs to the latter. It's my pleasure to introduce Caitlin McCluskey-Fitch, a name that is synonymous with innovative data strategies and an uncanny ability to unlock hidden narratives from vast seas of information. Caitlin's journey with Google Analytics isn't just about understanding user flows or traffic sources. It's about grasping the nuances of a digital audience and sculpting that understanding into actionable business intelligence. With a proven track record of transforming raw data into profound insights, she's been the guiding hand behind numerous businesses finding their path in the digital landscape, including the publishing company where I work. She's a seasoned digital analytics professional who has worked as a consultant, analyst, and manager. She's led clients across multiple industries, including publishing, with developing analytics measurement strategies that advance their business. 
That's a mouthful. Caitlin, welcome to the Audience Architect Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you so much, Bill. That was a lovely intro. Well, how's the Rocky Mountains looking this morning? I know that you're out in Denver. I believe they are beautiful. I haven't been outside yet as it's a a little early, but we have a lovely Colorado bluebird sky, as they say, and it looks like it's going to be a really nice day. Well, let's jump right in, Caitlin. What prompted Google to transition from UA to GA4? Uh, GA4 had been a long time coming. Universal Analytics had been out, I don't know for how many years, but it had been the standard for quite a while. Before Universal, they had Classic, which was really a bare bones version of GA. And then Universal was what everyone had kind of come to know and rely on. But Google recognized that a lot of things were changing, um, things like the privacy landscape, the ability to rely on cookies, and the ability to tie app and web data since Universal Analytics was separate. So if you had an app, you were measuring it standalone from your website. And they recognized all of these factors and started to build out GA4. Um, I believe they were working on it for a while before it was ever announced. I was in some beta UX testing, and I didn't I didn't really know what it was for, but um, it were the features that became GA4 eventually. And um, once they kind of had the product, I don't want to say fully baked because there's still a lot that um, needs to be built, built into it. They announced um, that it would be officially released in mid-October 2022, or 2020, sorry. Well, I've seen this characterized as the most meaningful change that Google has ever made to the analytics platform. We'll get down to the impact on publishers and media, but at a higher level, can you briefly describe the fundamental differences between Universal Analytics and GA4? Definitely. So at its core, GA4 is really different from Universal in the data model that it uses. So when we think about Universal Analytics, metrics that people are really familiar with, like sessions, technically exist in GA4, but it's not a session, it's an event. So the whole GA4 data model is based on events. And this is different from the events that you're used to in Universal Analytics, where you have a category, action, and label. You have to have that whole structure built out. And it's not the most scalable, and it's a little difficult to change those events once they're actually in play and be able to tie those uh, the, the data together. So GA4 is based on an event model where every interaction that a user has is captured in an event. So when a person first views the site, that's a session event. There's page view events. There are some default events that they give you. So unlike Universal, um, you get kind of a suite of events that you can start working with right out of the box. Like YouTube videos can be measured without needing to do anything special. Uh, File downloads, uh, phone calls, some things that people would typically have to set up on their own. GA4 gives you out of the box. Um, But with that, it comes a really different approach to event measurement, and the reporting style is very different from what people are used to in UA. We'll get into all those things, but maybe like for the analytics challenge, we can take a step back and you can just answer the question, what exactly is an event? How would you define an event in Google Analytics? For sure. So an event is anything that a user is doing on the website. So if someone... Uh, views a video on your website, an event can fire that lets you know that they played the video, that they watched to 25% or 50% or they completed it. Um, And it can be really anything that you want to measure on the site. And your limits are pretty high in GA4. So you do have the ability to capture a lot of the user interactions that matter for your business. 
And if there are things that um, you want to set up custom that aren't included in that uh, kind of default bucket that GA4 gives you, you have the ability to set that up. You kind of need some technical skills to do that, but um, really events let let you capture anything that matters to you when it comes to what users are doing on your website or app. I also um, think that uh, you and I in our earlier conversation talked about GA4 being Google's answer to what happens when marketers can no longer rely on cookies. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So the... I think one of the big reasons that Google rolled out GA4 was because they read the writing on the wall when it comes to privacy. Things like uh, third-party cookies are going away. Safari and Apple have all already taken a lot of steps towards increasing users' privacy. Chrome is on its way. They've kind of pushed back their their deadlines a bit when it comes to um, eliminating third-party cookies. But GA4 doesn't rely on third-party cookies. It really moves the focus into... um, what your first party data and the data that you have control over and gives marketers a lot more um, or actually gives users a lot more control over the data that GA is able to capture on them. Um, Something really big is that uh, GA4 no longer collects or stores IP address uh, because we know IP address that is a personally identifiable identifier. So um, being by removing that, um, that's all already a huge step for privacy. And the way that GA4 is designed is there are a lot of controls built in for what, for how you can use your data when um, these third-party cookies start going away and things like more sites have one trust banners or consent banners where users can say, I don't want to be tracked at all. In UA, what would happen is you lose all of that data. You have no insight into what someone has done once they hit that banner. But with GA4, there are features like behavior modeling and conversion modeling where GA4 is using an algorithm to kind of model the data. So even if you don't have data from a particular user, they're modeling it. So your conversion totals may not be exactly accurate, but they are more privacy safe and designed for what happens when people say, I don't want to be tracked at all. Staying at a high level. Um, one of the things that I've seen mentioned about GA4 is that it unifies the stages of a user journey across platforms, um, which I guess has been a goal of the internet as a whole for a long time. What do you think about that? That's an interesting one because part of the way that they're doing it, my personal opinion is that it may not be the most privacy safe, but they do have a couple levels um, of user identification where at um, at a high level, the person who's setting up GA has the ability to say how they want users to be identified. So they could just use the device ID, uh, which wouldn't really give them insight into the cross-device experience. But then they can also layer in things like Google Signals, where when a user logs into their Chrome browser as their Gmail account, and then they log in on their phone, Google is able to stitch that person together and say this is the same person. So that's really where the cross-device experience comes from. But if someone does not do that kind of login, um, or if a company doesn't want to have to rely on that, they still have the ability to use device, which doesn't really give them the cross-device reporting, but maybe more privacy safe. So let's let's get down to the media and publisher level. 
So how should media companies rethink their, their data strategy with GA4's approach, as you've been outlining it here? So at a fundamental level, I think GA4 gives publishers the ability to really start from scratch and think about what is the data that we care about? What do we want to measure? What kind of data is going to advance our business? What is a nice to have, but maybe something that we're not utilizing? And approach it really strategically, since with Universal Analytics, it had been around for so long. There's a high chance that you had events in there. You have no idea what they mean. Someone else set them up. Um, You don't really know what it's for. Maybe it was something interesting, but it's not something that's valuable or advancing your business. And GA4 gives people the ability to really start from scratch and design a strategy that makes sense. When it comes to designing the strategy, that can be a little daunting if you don't know where to start. So um, I think the default events that GA4 gives you are really useful. Uh, But once you have that high level of what what matters to you, what you want to measure, then from there, you can really start to think about audiences and integrations with other Google platforms like campaign manager or search ads or display in video, and then really build your GA4 event strategy around those platforms and what kind of data you want to be able to feed into those platforms to build your campaigns. You mentioned before um, predictive analytics that are built into GA4. How does machine learning in GA4 aid publishers in understanding their audiences better or how can they use it to do that? So the predictive aspect, I think, is somewhat stronger for like a retailer. Um, Publishers can definitely still benefit from it. But for someone like a retailer, uh, GA's um, algorithm can help you understand uh, churn rate and being able to identify high propensity users who are going to purchase. So it's really strong for e-commerce. From a publishing standpoint, I think the Uh, predictive aspects can still be really useful. Um, You could use predictive to help you target users who may be more likely to sign up for a newsletter or read X amount of content, whatever your your threshold is um, that you've defined as a high value user. So still useful for publishing, but I think a lot of those features are really designed for e-commerce. How can publishers then leverage GA4 to optimize their content strategy? You were talking a little bit about that, especially considering some of the real-time data capabilities. Yeah, so a big feature that GA4 introduced that used to only be present uh, for Universal Analytics 360 customers is funnel reporting. So with a a funnel, you can see um, at what point users are most likely to drop off. So if they've read three articles, are they likely to drop off? If they've read three articles and then there's a prompt inviting them to do something, are they likely to drop off then? So you can really start to get into the paths that your most successful um, content engagers are following and then be able to tweak things based on that. Uh, Maybe that's you see that when someone um, reads um, an article that has a video, they're more likely to stay on the site for two minutes longer than an article without a video. So that can be a good indicator. Maybe we want to introduce more video content. Or if uh, they get prompted for a newsletter sign up, what does that do for bringing them back to the site and then putting that newsletter sign up in a more prominent place? And eventually, GA4 will start to integrate with A-B testing platforms since they have Sunset, Google Optimize. Uh, Once that A-B testing um, tool is kind of integrated, I think that can also be a great way for publishers to test out content. 
Yeah, I've been thinking about this and 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 what you just said. There is a content analytics platform called Parsley that has been very friendly, particularly to editorial, in their being able to understand what kinds of content from the individual level to the topic level um, are resonating or not, and what uh, channels they came from and such. It seems like with GA4, it may be getting a little closer to being able to connect the dots between that content raw performance and um, what the what the user could do or might do that might benefit both them and the publisher. Does that sound like that's part of what GA4 will do? I think that's where they're headed. I don't know if it's there right now. As I said, when we started, there are a lot of things in GA4 that I, I wouldn't say are fully baked, but I do think they have a really robust roadmap of where they want to go. And when they made the rollout, I think they ensured that they had a lot of those features in place, but we will see a lot of really cool things with GA4 coming up in the next six months and in the next year. Does Google publish their roadmap? They don't publicly. Um, it is available to partners. Um, on the Google support page, you can see like a feature list of things that they have put out. So it's kind of like a change log. Uh, but unfortunately, they don't make their roadmap public. Um, mostly, I think, because things can change and they, they don't want the public holding them to a really high standard of you said this would roll out October 2nd. Why isn't it here yet? Let's go back to the privacy angle. With cookies going away, publishers sit pretty in their first-party data, in their relationship with their audiences, the trust that that engenders. So with GA4's emphasis on user privacy, how do you see the future of personalized content, for example, and ad targeting in the publishing industry? The ad targeting aspect and per personalization are hot topics when we think about um, giving users the ability to opt out um, because we will see a lot more kind of consent being required across sites, not necessarily an opt out, but an opt in. So when we think about uh, using GA4 for something like ad tar targeting, it does give publishers the ability to do a lot more um, because previously you could only integrate with the kind of more advanced uh, Google advertising products like DV360, Display and Video 360, Campaign Manager, and Search Ads. Now, anyone with a GA4 account can link up to that. So it gives you the ability to target in a much more interesting way using the data from GA, which is your first-party data. Um, and then when it comes to personalization, I think you can use kind of the, the same kind of audience data to be able to personalize content if someone has come to your site and they've read a certain piece of content and you want them to read the next piece, being able to use that data to personalize their experience. But we do want to balance that with the privacy aspect where um, GA4 is designed to not give you user-specific data. So if there's one person in that audience, Google is not going to let you create an audience based off of that one person. They do make you stay at a higher level. So you have to think about volumes and not personalizing at a, a truly one-to-one -one level. And I guess, Caitlin, that's that's why uh, GA4, when it's integrated with a customer data platform, can really uh, facilitate this this personalized content and ad targeting in the future, uh, not on its own. You've been talking about the various plugins on the Google side, but then there are third-party external 
services, I'm sure that can also augment what you're talking about to bring it from the one-to-one level to a segment level. Yes, for sure. So let's let's talk a little bit about reporting. You know, a lot of us in the publishing and media industry, you know, have once again been relying on page views and sessions, looking in the rearview mirror rather than looking at how um, Google Analytics or any analytics platform can help us to identify uh, issues and also drive the business. So what's new in reporting in GA4 that might make that more palatable and possible? So the reporting interface in GA4, uh, for anyone who has logged into it, you can tell right off the bat, it's very different from the report suite that you had in Universal Analytics. And the reason that GA4 has made this kind of see change when it comes to how you can report is to make it more flexible for the end user. So in Universal Analytics, when you would log in, you would see the same set of reports no matter what user you were. And if you were a GA Power user, you might know in order to see host name performance, I need to go into the technology report and I need to change the primary dimension. And you have to do a lot of steps to get to something. And what GA4 has given you the ability to do is to create reports that actually matter to you. So you can create what we would think of as kind of a custom report in UA, and you can publish it to the sidebar. And you can also give specific people access to those reports. So if your marketing team needs a set of reports with a specific set of KPIs, you can give that to them. Or if your finance team needs something, you can give that to them. And you can really customize the experience. So you don't necessarily need to see all of the GA4 metrics because there are a lot and a lot of them are different. But if you do need something like sessions and page views, those still do exist in GA4. I don't think, I think Google realized they couldn't quite take away everything. So you do still have access to those, but then you can also report out on things like um, churn and the number of events that a user has completed, uh, their engagement time on the site um, engagement rate, things like like that that you didn't necessarily have access to before. You know, you mentioned engagement rate, and that's the other side of the bounce rate. And GA4 um, got rid of the bounce rate. Do you think that there's going to be a hue and cry from the community and that will come back? Or is that really the neg- a negative way to look at it? And you're really trying to encourage, uh, obviously, more of the engagement than just the pure traffic volume and such. That that's a complex one since I I personally still find a lot of value in bounce rate and engagement rate, I think is a more positive way to look at it. Um, not necessarily like someone or your site had a 90% bounce rate, but your site has a 10% engagement rate. But what is really important for people to remember when they're kind of comparing the inverse of the old bounce rate with engagement rate is that they're measured very differently in GA4. You can customize the thresholds, but it's not, did someone visit your site and they didn't do anything and they left? It can be, did they visit your site and they spent 10 seconds on the site? So then when you compare those numbers, they're very different. Like your site looks like it has an incredible engagement time. Maybe you don't think 10 seconds is great. Maybe you want it to be a minute and you want them to have to do a certain activity in order to be considered engaged. You have a lot more control there, which I think makes it a more useful metric than bounce rate. But it's still, I think being able to look at both is useful. So if you're using something like Looker Studio, you can create a custom bounce rate metric, uh, which I've done for one of my clients because they're still very 
uh, wedded to bounce rate, but it is with a huge caveat that this is not the same bounce rate that you're used to. This is measured very differently. So this is not your mother's bounce rate. Um, by the way, the odds are three to two in Vegas that uh, Google will bring back bounce rate. But as you see, it's changed significantly. We'll be right back. Hey there, fellow audience architects looking to up your email marketing game. Mark your calendars for September 14th, right in the heart of the Windy City. Come join us at MACMA's in-person email marketing summit. That's the Media Audience and Content Marketing Asso Marketers Association, MACMA for the newbies out there. Prepare to be blown away, excuse the pun, in Chicago as we dive deep into the world of email marketing. Whether you're looking to refine your strategies, build a dedicated following with top-notch newsletters, or navigate the latest trends, we've got you covered. Our star-studded roster of email experts include sessions with Tony Napoleone, Patty McGinnis, Joel Hughes, Elizabeth Kachoris, Roberta Mueller, and Joyce Neff. They're here to share insights, tips, and the state-of-the-art in email marketing, deliverability, inbox placement, constructing premium newsletters, and much, much more. Who said email is dead? Come for the knowledge, stay for the networking. It's more than just a summit, it's a game changer. Let's craft the future of email marketing together. MACMA and Chicago are waiting for you. This will be an immersive experience you won't wanna miss. Register now at themacma.org to secure your spot. See you there. So we just looking at the what we've discussed so far as far as the opportunities, easier tracking of users across multiple devices, uh, integrations with Google products for audience building, customized and streamlined reporting. Are there any other opportunities that our audience should uh, should be cued into? Yeah, I think the, the last one would be access to BigQuery. So BigQuery is Google's data warehousing tool. And previously, 360 customers of Universal Analytics could send their UA data into BigQuery um, through an export um, that would send daily or multiple times per day. But it was only available to 360 customers. And a big benefit of GA4 is that anyone has access to this export so you can send that data into BigQuery and then do more advanced analysis. So the reporting aspects of GA4 can be a bit limiting um, when it comes to things like date ranges, if you want to get really granular, if you just want to be able to use that data and send it somewhere else or send it into your internal data warehouse. Um, you really couldn't do that before. So with BigQuery, it gives you a lot more flexibility and I think lets you do more advanced analysis. Uh, for publishers, this could be really powerful, but it could also be way too much data. So for the average GA user, getting into BigQuery could be a lot. You do need to have some SQL skills. You need to be able um, to have a strong enough understanding of a data warehouse so that you don't really skyrocket your costs um, since BigQuery is pretty cheap for storage. It's much more expensive when it comes to querying the data. So if you're not doing it in a really thoughtful way, you could have costs that go up very quickly. So it's, I would say it's a more advanced opportunity, not one that everyone needs to take advantage of, but it is probably the most useful when we think about data retention. In GA4, one of their privacy controls is how long they'll actually store your data and I believe the default is 14 months. I could be mistaken on that, but 14 months is um, the window that I've seen used most often. So after 14 months, you won't have access to that data in the Explore reports where you can do a lot more cool analysis. 
So setting your data to BigQuery, even if you're not using it yet, might be a good idea just so it's there if you need that historic data once that 14-month window expires. You know, I I did see that 14-month thing. Can you elaborate a little bit about exactly what will not be available after 14 months? Yeah. So the uh, the 14 months isn't specific to any data in GA4. Um, things like if you go into the standard set of reports, I believe you'll still see the data there. It really uh, matters when we think about the um, explore reports where that's kind of GA4's custom report option where you can do a lot more slicing and dicing. You can do funnels, you can do paths. Uh, That's really where if you need to do reporting that's not available in those standard set of reports that you can do. So if you're really reliant on funnel reports or pad reports, or even just free forms where you want to see totals by dimensions that may not be available in the standard reports, you wouldn't have access to that after the 14-month window. And that can be actually decreased if you have privacy concerns. Uh, Maybe your legal team says we can't store data for more than three months. You could set it pretty low. I wouldn't necessarily suggest that, but um, the 14-month window is designed to kind of eliminate Google storing user data for longer than it needs to. Well, that's a perfect segue, I'd say, because on the opposite side of opportunity are challenges and drawbacks. And so um, I think we should talk a little bit about them. At um, at the top of it, what challenges might publishers or media companies face while transitioning from UA to GA4? One of the biggest ones is the concept of views and view filters has gone away in GA4. So for a publisher, um, you may have relied on views heavily to segment out different sites. If you're managing um, 20 different sites, maybe they're in different GA properties, but maybe they were in three properties. And then you were using views to segment out all of those sites within your three properties. That concept goes away in GA4. You have your uh, your property, which is your site, and then you don't have view filters. So if you need to segment out anything, you would need to set up different properties. Or if you're a 360 customer, you could use sub-properties, but those have some cost limitations and if you're also having to pay for the 360 license. So not, I wouldn't say don't don't get the license just for the concept of sub-properties. But uh, with that loss, it does make it more difficult for you to have standard filtering. So what you could do as kind of a workaround is create sets of reports that you've saved to the sidebar that have those filters pre-applied. So if someone needs to open it up, it's pre-applied for that site. Uh, But what you can't do right now is have segments that persist. So you can't go in and create 20 segments like you could in UA and then let people pick from those. They have to create those segments every time. So between the loss of the the views and view filters and not having persistent segments at the moment, it does make it more difficult to have that pre-filtered, just easy reporting for people. That sounds like it should be right there at the top of the roadmap. I certainly hope so. What else, Caitlin? Data freshness is something I've seen recently. Uh, My clients don't really have as much of a need for data freshness, like having uh, yesterday's data available first thing in the morning or being able to check in on data multiple times throughout the day. But I know that is a bigger concern for pub publishers. Like if someone releases an article, they want to know right away how many eyeballs have I had on it. And they definitely want to know that the next day. 
Um, and the real-time reports in GA4 are somewhat useful. They let you see data from within the last 30 minutes, but you also can't apply filters to those. So if you want to filter by a host name or by a page, you can't do that. So the real-time reports haven't been super useful for me personally. Um, I know some people love them, but I haven't found a lot of use in them. So having to wait just makes it more difficult. And Google's time that they've said for data freshness is slightly different from what I've actually seen for my clients when I go in and I want to see data from the prior day. Like, let's say it's 10 a.m. today. I want to see data from yesterday. I don't always see the complete picture. It looks very low. And I'll have to come back later in the day at like 5 p.m. And then I can see full data for the prior day. So between not having really robust real-time reporting and that kind of longer window window for data freshness, it just makes it more difficult to have access to that prior day data or that same day data. Um, GA4 isn't really designed for that. Any other limitations that the audience should know about? I I would say those are the, the biggest, biggest two. And maybe the, the last one is just the learning curve. Um, that's not really a limitation necessarily, but it makes it more difficult to use because it is so different. And I, I think people didn't necessarily think that Google was going to stick to their July 1st deadline. So they had more time than they did. Now they're in a platform that they may not, not, may not necessarily know how to use. Um, so it can be daunting and you might just not know where to go once you're in there. So it, it you do have to have enough time to set aside and sit down and really learn the platform to be able to use it at a level that you need. Well, how do you envision then the evolution of, of GA4 in the next five years, particularly for meeting and, and publishing sectors? You've talked about some things that could be roadmapped. You've talked sort of about the strategic direction, moving uh, from a session base to an events base, privacy, et cetera, cross channel. But where, where do you, do you, do you have a sense of where this thing is going? I, I'm personally curious to see where it goes. I I don't have a crystal ball. I wish I did. Uh, what I'm most interested to see is what actually happens when third-party cookies go away, because Google has said that this thing is designed to be privacy safe and be future-focused. But what happens when we actually get to that point in the future? Um, I believe Chrome is supposed to sunset third-party cookies in, I think they've said Q3 of next year. Um, don't quote me on that. But they, um, they've said that. So once we actually get to that point, how does the data in GA4 change? Do they have to rely on even more modeling? Um, I'm just curious to see what happens there. And I'm also curious to see how they uh, incorporate a lot of the user feedback. Um, you may not know this, but when, when you're in GA, you have the ability to give feedback on um, a feature or a report that you're in. Um, I think it's the either three dots or the question mark in the upper right-hand corner. And you can send them feedback there. So if you see something that looks off or you see something that's missing or something you want, drop that in there. Um, I know that they do review it. So... I hope that they're taking all of this user feedback about things that users either had in UA that they want in GA4 or things that they just want in GA4 that aren't there yet, because there's a lot more that Google can be adding to the platform. Um, it's maybe 80% baked. Um, there's still some things that I think they need to um, build in to make it more usable for um, users of analytics, but they're on their way. 
example for you and your colleagues um, in the analytics expert industry, um, what's been the overall buzz about the move to GA4? Are people like, this is amazing? Or are they like, this is pretty good? Or like, oh my gosh, or somewhere in between? Probably somewhere in between. Uh, it was at my last job, uh, definitely a little bit stressful knowing that we needed to get everyone migrated over to GA4. We needed to think through how we could tie their historic UA data to their GA4 data uh, because for people who are using GA360 or they're working with an analytics agency, I think there is a higher expectation for having that consistent data reporting view um, that maybe other users don't need. So there was a lot of pressure there to make sure that they had um, consistent data that really tied the UA data and the GA4 data. And other than that, I think it was excitement, definitely nervousness, not knowing how smooth the rollout was going to be, um, if there were going to be a lot of hiccups. And now that we're here, from my perspective, it's been smoother than I expected. But um, my client that I'm working with right now was very open to uh, GA4 is the future. We're ready to move to it. We know things are going to change. Um, so really just having that open-minded kind of approach to it really helps not trying to dig your feet in the sand and say, I'm not changing. I want to stay the same uh, because J4 really isn't designed for that. You talked a little bit about uh, the transition from UA to GA4. Our analytics agency um, set up mirror sites for us uh, a full year before the July 1st of this year deadline to get the data flowing and, and start to understand what the change was and and think about events. Um, what happens um, if you're a publisher in the media and you were tardy and you haven't done it yet? What do you do? Is it too late? I'd say better late than never. Uh, Google did really encourage people to uh, get that dual tagging in place that you mentioned, having them running in parallel. And then if you had logged into GA, I'm going to say any time in the three months before uh, the transition, there was a very intense countdown that told you that you had X number of days, hours, and minutes to transfer over. So um, I think Google did their best to kind of force people into it. But if for some some reason you weren't able to, um, like I said, better late than never, get it set up. Um, if you are at the point now where um, you don't have it, you're really running against time. So you may be in a position or you may, if you are in a position to uh, work with an agency, that can be really useful because they have the resources to be able to get things up um, very com comprehensively in a strategic way and likely faster than you could on your own. Uh, but that, those aren't options for ev everyone. So if you are in a position where you can't work with an agency, read all the support docs, do your best. You'll probably make some mistakes, but better some data than no data. Well, aside from intensive therapy, <laughs> do you have any advice for media professionals as they navigate this significant shift in analytics? Yeah, I think um, just learn as much about it as you can. There's a ton of resources out there. Um, there is a free GA4 course on uh, Google Skillshop. Um, it's pretty basic, but you can also get certified in GA4 um, that way. So that's a good option. Uh, there are some good paid options. Uh, Krista Sedan is one of my uh, 
Google heroes and she used to work at Google and she worked on Google Analytics. She's now on, on her own, but she has a um, a premium GA4 training bundle that I've recommended to a few people because it looks really com- comprehensive. And then there's so many blogs, support articles, Reddit. You can really learn as much as you want just on your own and um, requires a lot more digging, but there's a lot of good resources out there. And then, as I said, you could also work with a partner if you want to get things set up. Um, So those are some options. And then the second kind of piece of advice I would have is just approach it with an open mind and realize that GA4 is different from UA. And the sooner you kind of embrace that, I think the better off you'll be. Uh, There are definitely people that uh, want to replicate as much of UA as possible in GA4 and I understand the desire for that because change is hard, but at the end of the day, they are very different data models. And if you try to approach it the same way, I don't think you're going to get as much out of GA4 as you could. So do your best to be open-minded and approach it with um, excitement instead of being scared. And I would imagine that um, this is the kind of thing that you could help um, our audience with as well. Yes. I um I can do custom training. I um I can also work with with you on analysis of of your data. I'm no coder, so when it comes to implementation work, actually getting things set up, um, that is not my forte. But definitely, when it comes to the analysis side and helping you develop that measurement strategy, that's something that I'm really passionate about. Cool. Well, we can we can put uh, in the show notes. We can put links to that Google Skill Shop and Krista Seiden's bundle, as well as your information. I always like to conclude the podcast with a little about the guest. So, in our pre-show, you talked about a reading challenge. Can you tell our audience about that? That's this is really cool. Yeah. So I'm a big reader. I've been obsessed with reading my whole life. And in the last couple of years, I would use Goodreads and set reading challenges for myself. And Goodreads, if you're not familiar, um, it's a product now that I think it's owned by Amazon. And they, um, you can track your, your book reading and connect with, with your friends there. So I would set my uh, reading challenge target to like 50 books or 60 books. And then I would read as much as I could to meet that goal. And this year, I took a slightly different approach. I didn't want to set myself um, as firm of a target. So I stopped using Goodreads. I've just been reading. I write down notes and a little note on my phone. And I think I'm actually set to surpass my past goals. Uh, I hadn't I hadn't counted until actually last week. And I'm further ahead than I've ever been since I kind of took the, the stress off of myself to read, um, which has been really fun. So, so Caitlin, shame some of us who aren't uh, full book readers. What? How many books have you read so far this year? I've read about thirty-eight this year. That's an awesome KPI. <laughs> well, Caitlin, thank you for your time on this really critical issue. Um, the analytics might not be quite as sexy as the AI topics, but but quite essential and very tied into this direction of uh, leveraging behavior across channels to better understand readers and also provide uh, purchasing intention for uh, advertisers. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much, Bill. This was great. 
Audience Architect is a content service of MACMA, the Media Audience and Content Marketers Association. Supercharge your career with MACMA's paid membership. Connect with industry experts, thought leaders, and like-minded professionals. Expand your knowledge and stay ahead with networking events, webinars, and conferences. Join MACMA today for unparalleled value and professional growth. Check us out at www.the-mcma.org. Write me with feedback on the show and topic ideas for future episodes. The good, bad, and the ugly. I'll take them all to BillLevineBML0217 at Gmail.